Brothers and sisters, welcome to Watermark Community Church. My name is John Elmore, serve here with Pastoral Care and Regen. And I want to tell you about a little something that happened this week. So I walk in to the back door after I get home from work. There on the kitchen island was a book. It was this book. And I, and I look at the back of the book. I'm like, what is this? Because that's where the kids' homework usually is. So I grab it. It says, by the same author, boy to girl. Then it says, he takes on his cousin's dare, attends his new school with a fresh identity as a girl. Then it says, Blacker prompts readers to reconsider their preconceptions about the sexes and roles people play. A refreshing introduction to the complexities of gender and self-image. Blacker artfully tackles gender identity, homophobia, and custody battles. I'm like, what is this doing on our island? I was like, Laura! She's like, what? Like, what is this book? She's like, Hill brought it home. Hill's our second grader, y'all. Second grader in the public school system. I'm like, what? Then I got really offended because I flipped the book over. I'm like, what is this? Because it says same by, by the same author. You know, what the, you know what it says? Parent swap. Mom and dad driving you crazy? Call parent swap today. That means my little second grader was like, hmm, let's see here. I don't like my, oh, parent swap. I'd like to get rid of my parents. I'm, now, now I'm not yelling to Laura. I'm like, hell, get down here, buddy. We gotta talk, you wanna swap your parents? What's wrong? Today we are continuing the series, Uncompromised, and we're addressing sexuality, all things sexuality, biblical sexuality, cultural sexuality, um, as an ongoing effort of our elders to equip the church as we live in this ever-changing world. Now, just to take a temperature reading of the world that we're living in with, with sexuality and where we are, and some of you are like, oh yeah, I heard those headlines, or I know those trends, but here it all is an aggregate in one place so that we know like, okay, this is the world that we are living in. There is the feminization of men and the masculinization of women into the, this gender fluidity that we live in. You have professors and doctors being fired because they will not address a person by their transgendered pronoun or write it on the reports. You've got bathroom assaults by transgender, so biological other in a bathroom assaulting those who are there, then you also have Drag Queen Story Hour, which is um, typically would have been like felony offense. Now we have uh, men dressed as prostitutes in public libraries reading books about gender to children. And we're endorsing this on a national level. We have porn in the classroom under the guise of literature and sex education. As of last week, we, we have now made the United States passports. You can have male, female, or gender X if you don't identify as one or the other. That'll be helpful as far as protecting the US. Twix candy bar commercial, which affirms a little boy who dresses as a girl, and then uh, the other kids who are saying like, why are you dressed like that? They get scolded, whereas the one gets affirmed. We have Rachel Levine, who is a transgender pediatrician. Those are two words that should never go together. A transgender pediatrician who is the US assistant US Secretary of Health. So second in command over the US Health Department, Rachel Levine, who is a transgender woman, meaning a biological man. And it goes on and on. We have, uh, this is interesting, our director of communications uh, texted me, didn't mention this in the first service, she said, you know what the number one 
page visited on Watermark's website, the number one page on Watermark's website, you might be like, the homepage? Like people are just trying to find out? It's a message called Raising Kids in a Triple X Culture. And you might think like, wow, so that's a lot of parents who wanna know how to raise their kids in like this porn culture that we're in. No, it's because people Google search Triple X Kids and they land on a church website. That's the world we're living in. And you might think like, wow, you're really uh, kind of amped up or upset about these people, whether it's Rachel Levine or the transgender in the bathroom or the pornography in the classroom. It's not, I'm not, I'm not upset with the people. I am upset with this culture in the world that we live in under the influence and realm of Satan that is just applauding as people are barreling forward in their sin that's gonna unravel in this life and lead forever in the next in hell, apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In 2013, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual on Mental Health, in 2013, they decided to remove something. It was gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria was, was known for its existence as a mental illness, but in 2013 said, you know what? And now our president is calling these people heroes. But again, the people are not the problem. Like I was the person, whether it was pornography or strip clubs or the way I treated women. I, I'm, I, the people, like I was one. I can't throw stones at them because it's exactly who I was. And let me make something really clear. Like right from the outset is we're gonna be talking about sexuality because as evidenced by all of culture, sexuality is incredibly powerful and it is incredibly personal. And so this needs to be said right here as an anchor for the message, is that God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, loves all people, no matter what their affiliation or preference or, or desire or appetite, he loves all people right now, as they are. He loves them. He loves them. Do you know he actually has no other choice? It's Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. And you gotta stop there, like, wait, demonstrates. He put it on display. He revealed it to the world. This is how I'm gonna show you my love for you. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still steeped within our sin, that's how God demonstrates his love. He's like, no matter where you are, what you're doing, who you like, how you dress, whatever your transition you've been through, I love you right now. And it's the only choice of person that I have to love because every single person apart from Jesus is in sin. Who else would I love? And so you've got this like quintessential verse on the gospel, John 3, 16, that I think in Christianity has become so cliche that we don't even mention it anymore. But in this day and age, it becomes really important to mention, and here it is. For God so loved the world and everyone in it. What did he do? What did he do as a result because of his love? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish eternity in hell, but have eternal life. But we don't read John 3, 17. We stop at 3.16. John 3.17 is so beautiful and powerful. It says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through his life, death, and resurrection. That was what the reason was for the coming of Jesus. Why? Because the world was already in condemnation. Because our sin, Romans 3.13, has separated us from the glory of God. We were already condemned. Every single person since Adam and Eve partook of the fruit has been condemned in sin, separated from God. And so God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but rather to rescue it. He sends Jesus on a rescue mission. The Titanic was already going down, and here comes Jesus and the life but to rescue all. He didn't come to condemn, but to save. This is the gospel. And so if someone's living outside of the norm of God's ordained sexuality, what they don't need from the church is shouting and social media. They need shepherding. It's not what I needed when I was an alcoholic. I didn't need shouting and for somebody to be like, you know that that's wrong. I'm like, oh, genius. Yes, I I know that it's wrong. I needed shepherding and to be shepherded to Jesus. And you can't compromise this. Jesus loves with grace and truth and you can't have one without the other. They are inextricably intertwined. And so you see Jesus when he confronts the woman at the well. They are there to condemn her, to stone her to death. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. There's grace, just lavish grace that she had not, couldn't comprehend. You don't condemn me? But then he says also in truth, now go and sin no more. There's grace and there's truth. And it's how we engage culture as uncompromised in this world. And so today what we're gonna be talking about is sexuality, biblical and cultural. And here's the three places that we're gonna be. One is truth over trends. We're to speak truth over the trends. Two, we need to disciple before the world does. We have got to be about discipleship before the world and culture does. And thirdly, and my most favorite point, is be against the movement, but for the person. Against the movement for the person. And so, With that in mind, biblical sexuality. Biblical sexuality is simple, it is life-giving, and it is unchanging. Simple, life-giving, and unchanging. Here it is from the scriptures, but before we do, I wanna tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, When I was probably like fifth or sixth grade, 4th of July, we got to the family event, and my dad, we had, uh, me and a buddy, his name's Ryan, we'd bought a duffel bag full of fireworks, like spent all of our allowance, whatever it was, go to the fireworks store and like, 30 pounds of fireworks. So my dad sets up this board with a, you know, an old glass Coke bottle that we can shoot our bottle rockets and Roman candles out of and get some head nods in the audience like those are the good old days. Well, after like 30 minutes, my parents go inside and they're eating their backberry cobbler and all that. And uh, we're like, man, this is kind of lame. Like we got a whole duffel bag full. You can only shoot so many bottle rockets before you like get bored and start taking the, the stick off and throw them into the air and see which way they go. And so we take the whole duffel bag, we go to the front yard, because you know our parents won't be able to see us anymore, and uh, we've just got it setting there, and one of the ones is like the little thing that spins and jumps, it's like just kind of bouncing around. Once it goes and lands in the duffel bag, and we're like, oh no. And I mean, it was like this split second decision, like somebody had taken a pin out of a grenade, it's like, do you jump on it or do you run for your life? And he looks at me, I look at him, we like kind of grab it and sling it, which I think was a good idea away from the house, except we slung it towards a field that was dry because it's July, and then it just combusts. Like 
$30 worth of fireworks, the, the, the like nylon duffel bag just melts up in upon itself and then it's just like haywire going in every direction. And in the field was either like an apple or peach orchard and it sets fire. We're literally running through just stomping it out. Here's why I share this with you. It's because fireworks as given to me by my dad, they were good when used in the right way. My dad had given me instructions, they were made by a designer, but when I went outside of that, it got really bad really quick, and it led to destruction and danger. But God has given us the gift of sex. We are made as sexual beings, male and female, and he's entrusted us with the gift from a father that this is good, it's life-giving, it's for oneness and unity and procreation, but don't take it outside of that context and start breaking the sticks off the bottle rockets and start using them as you please. There is a context by the Father as made by the designer for this way, and when you step outside of that, it leads to death. So biblical sexuality, simple, life-giving, and unchanging. Here it is. Matthew 19, where Jesus throws back to Genesis at the creation account. He says, haven't you read, he replied, they were questioning him about marriage, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let me say it like this. God permits, I said it was simple, it's very simple. God permits no sexuality, none, no sexuality, aside from the confines and covenant of marriage. That is the only place that God says, this is where this good gift of sex is to be, and anything outside of that is going to lead to sin and death, relational death, emotional death, spiritual, mental, like all of it, and you, you see the unraveling. This is from Watermark's doctrinal statement on man, that as you, uh, every January with membership, you would re-sign this. It says this, we believe God created mankind in his image, forming each person in the womb from conception until the point of death when they breathe their last, and assigning gender to his people, male, man, and female, woman, as he created them sexually and biologically different, but with equal personal dignity and value. We believe that God ordained marriage as a lifelong union between one man and one woman, those who accept and live within God's design for sex, biological gender, and marriage experience the blessing of this good design and decisions to change, alter, or modify God's will. You think about the fireworks here. In marriage, sex, or gender are part of man's brokenness and leads to despair. But it doesn't stop there. There's gospel, there's good news because all of us have stepped out of those bounds in some regard, whether it's from lust all the way to transgender, whatever it may be. We believe that God loves and pursues mankind despite our rebellion, Romans 5.8 that we said earlier. He offers forgiveness, healing, and abundant life to anyone who turns to him in humility. So again, biblical sexuality is simple, life-giving, and unchanging. Now conversely, Cultural sexuality is complex, life-taking, just like the fireworks, and ever-changing. It is complex. Like, even as you read the news headline, you're like, wait, transgender man, does that mean biological? Will? Like, I, it's like hard to get your mind around because it's complex. It's life-taking. It does not lead to life. We'll read some of the statistics about mental health as a result. And then also, it is ever-changing. It's become this, like, fluid reality. Gender theory, according to the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner and also the World Health Organization, is now a social construct. Meaning, just as Marx would say, 
um, these old, the old way is repressive and oppressive, so we need to get rid of that, and now, by the power of the populace, we need to overthrow these existing historical things that are oppressive to us. And in the same way, they say that gender and sex is a social construct, meaning, well, you're just, you just identify as a man because that's, you grew up in a, like a, a patriarchal society that says that's who you are, but if you really like looked inside and knew within, you would, you would explore your sexuality. That's a social construct. Throw that off and become, you do you. you. You find your true love. It's what we're living in. So like critical race theory, this is now critical theory applied to gender. To Facebook, or now as it's called, meta, in the year 2014, guess how many genders they offered? 2014, two, somebody, somebody shouted out 50 million in the first service, and I'm like, we'll, we'll probably get there. Uh, in 2014, they offered 58 genders, 58, 58 genders. They've now shrunk it down to 14. I think they realized like, oh, this is gonna be unending. So now it's 14, including like androgynous and agender and cisgender and all the different things. And then though, there's a custom field where you can enter in, it's an open text box, and as you put in A or B or C or whatever letter, it starts auto-populating over 100 of these different genders. Sex and gender used to be synonymous, it is now altogether not. Tumblr, which is a social media and microblogging platform, they offer, right now, it'll change, give it a month, 121 different genders. WebMD, which you think you look for that, for like chicken pops, coronavirus, like what are my, what are my symptoms, WebMD. WebMD has articles on all of this. They have one on polyamory, which means multiple lovers. Not like infidelity, that like, oh, I just love a lot of people. Right. <laughs> and they not only ascribe to it like this is a real sexuality, but they then not just give the definition, they give you instructions on how to engage in a conversation with your partner about polyamory so that you can bring them into a polyamorous relationship. And they go further and say, and if your partner doesn't agree with polyamory, then perhaps it's time for you to find another partner who will be better off for you that will appreciate your polyamorous nature. It's not just that though, it's not just gender. There's like the hookup culture. I, I literally had to text or email our IT department. I was like, hey guys, FYI, I am researching some dark stuff. Like I'm for sure getting flagged on our like staff internet. And uh, Scott Miller, who oversees all that, was like, hey, thanks for letting us know. Uh, if it happens next week, I'll be in your office. <laughs> because the things that I'm researching, I'm researching like hookup app, and it's like a laundry list. Like things I can't even mention from the stage with integrity because of the stumbling block I might put before someone. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I know about those. And that's, that's a different topic of conversation. We've got a porn epidemic. It is an epidemic outside of the church and even so within the church, which is such a tragedy that it's here within the church. And every time you say porn, you need to think in your mind too, masturbation. Like nobody's just looking at pictures. There's a sex act that's going along with the sex images and it's an epidemic within the church. Within Christians, it shouldn't be. Prostitution, you've got, now got with the uh, shelter in place, you now have this movement towards amateur pornography where just like normal people are, are getting online to different websites 
and, and giving themselves over to pornography for other people who will pay them. In Europe, coming to a theater near you soon, because we, we usually follow the trend line, in Europe, you have universities telling students, this is how you can engage as a sex worker, both online or in person, to help offset some of your school debt. It's the reality we're living in. So thus, the number one song on iTunes in all genres in the US. Here are some of the lyrics from Brainwashed by Tom McDonald. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. And so with that reality, that cultural temperature and climate in mind, we're gonna walk through those three things. Number one, truth over trends. Truth over trends, this is Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love. This is us, as Jesus left us here, as salt and light to push back the darkness, the moral decay. We speak the truth in love. The truth being the content, and then love being the manner and the intention of the heart, the delivery and, and the motive of you. It's, it's truth, but it's all wrapped and sourced in love for the individual. Now, if you were here for the first week when we kicked this off, we knew that Love without truth is negligence. To just say, well, I, I just, I, I'm gonna love that person. I'm not gonna share the truth, that would be condemning, and they would feel then other than, so I'm just gonna love them. That's negligence. That's letting someone walk full-fledged towards sin, death, Satan, and hell. But then there's the opposite side where it's love without truth, Sorry, truth without love is a nuisance. This is 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, if you're speaking the truth, if you have the tongues of angels, but you don't have love, you're just noise. You're just noise to them. You've got to have truth and love inextricably intertwined. The context of that verse, here it is with Ephesians 4.15, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves of culture, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and listen, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. Like, that's the world that we're living in, the cunning, the craftiness, the deceit. And he says, speak the truth in love. Like, that's your job, church. Speak the truth in love, truth over trends. I'm gonna give you an example of a good friend of mine. She is a fellow on the Regen team out of the Watermark Institute. Her name is Mary Civils. Mary was pursuing her master's in marriage and family counseling. And as she's in this class, she has her, uh, and there's a university that everyone in this room would instantly know. She's getting her master's and this uh, professor who has four PhDs says to the class, if you have a couple that's struggling in marriage, you should prescribe to them pornography. That will be helpful to their marriage. Mary said she engaged in this wrestling with the Holy Spirit as he was saying to her, raise your hand, speak up. The students just heard what she said and she's like, I'll just talk to the teacher after class. The Spirit spoke louder, no, raise your hand, speak up now. And so Mary raises her hand, teacher, yes? She says this, quote, I disagree that porn is beneficial for marriage. We see in neuroscience studies that pornography trains the brain out of monogamy, depletes intimacy and purity. It quite literally changes the brain. The professor's response, you know what she asked? Are you a Christian? Not where'd you get that research, not that's an interesting counterpoint, are you a Christian? Mary said yes, but the statistics and rationale that I'm quoting are not faith-based studies. She said, get out of the class. 
or keep your opinions to yourself. She then was expelled from the university. All her A's went to F's because not only that, she wouldn't put her pronouns on her email signature. And they said, that is prejudice, you're transphobic, and that's discriminatory. Not because she was speaking against other people, just because she wouldn't put her pronouns on her email signature. So she got all F's. Then she checked her grades one day. After that, because she was like, come what may, I stand with the Lord. Like, I'm not gonna waver, as they were telling her to renounce that. She checks her grade one day, from all F's, back to all A's. She goes to the ID department, she's like, hey, I had all F's, they're now all A's, but I've been uh, through this expulsion process, can you help me understand? They send her around, kind of a goose chase, to find other people. Then the IT, the IT person comes back and says, you know what, we've looked into it, your grades did change. But we don't know what to do because if we change your grades back to F's manually, we're gonna have to go back and manually re-enter every single student of the entire student body. And so you can have your A's and I guess we're gonna have to let you graduate. <laughs> That's God. What? That's the Hebrew boys in Babylon saying, hey king, do what you must. Our God's able to save us, but even if he doesn't, this is what we're gonna do. And Mary's like, kick me out if you want. This is where I stand, and God's like, I got you. I'm with you in the fire. Truth over trends. Some of the trends, 96% of millennials, this is 25 to 40-year-olds. This isn't like, you know, troubled junior high kids. These are 25 to 40-year-olds. 96% lack a biblical worldview. 75%, this is tragic, 75% lack meaning and purpose in life. Three quarters have no reason to get out of bed in the morning. No purpose in life. This is according to George Barna, like incredible cultural research center. Only one-third have a belief in God, leaving two-thirds to be atheistic or agnostic. This statistic, 39%, you heard me, 39% of 18 to 24-year-olds, which is the lowest bracket of millennials, identify as LGBTQI+, 39%, four out of 10. And Barna attributes this to media, that applauds them and gives them, our president calls them heroes. This, there, there is this like fanfare around it. So now four out of 10. So truth over trends. Truth over trends when you're asked to use someone's pronouns, when you're asked uh, to compromise in any way is, hey, I respect you as an individual. You tell them you love them because God does. I love you, I respect you. And I think that you should be able to make your own choices. Like you, you I know that you, as an open-minded person, just use their language, as an open-minded person, you live according to your own conscience, right? Yes, I do. Then I know that you, as an open-minded person, living according to your own conscience, you wouldn't want me to then live against my conscience, would you? Like, that's what you're for, and so my, that would violate my conscience because of my beliefs, but I love you. I care for you. It's actually the reason why that I'm not going along with it because of my beliefs. Truth over trends. It's Acts 4, 18 through 20. Then they called them in again, the disciples, John and Peter, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You might say in the ways of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Blake Holmes, uh, you just heard from, turned me on to a, a a journal, it's called First Things, Journal of Religion and Public Life. Carl Truman is quoted as saying this. Christianity tells the world what it does not wish to hear, 
We should not expect to be embraced by those whose thoughts and deeds contradict the truths of our faith. Nor should we seek to make our faith more palatable, lest the salt lose its savor. Accommodating the world's demands is a fool's errand. Hold the truth over trends. Secondly, disciple before culture does. There is no more neutral. We have got to disciple before culture does because culture is discipling the world and our children and our neighbors and our coworkers and us 24-7 with the devices we have within our palms to the TV, to the music, to everything. There's an ongoing discipleship by the culture. And so we've got to disciple first and foremost just as the culture always is. I've got a question. You want to know one of the greatest disciplers, arguably I would say like, Second, second greatest discipler in the history of known religion. And you're probably like, okay, well, Jesus has got to be first. Maybe Paul, maybe Moses. Second, second greatest discipler, arguably, would be Satan. Satan is the second greatest discipler as he's whispering his lies and infiltrating through culture and media and social media and all of it. And so Jesus gave us the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's what would it be about, Christ followers. That's all this is. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's, um, they've trusted in Jesus. There's salvation. Now we're moving into sanctification. Listen, and teaching them, who? All nations. Teaching them, all nations, to what? To obey everything. It, it's not all a cart like, oof. Man, that part might offend somebody, and that part they're certainly not going to agree with, and that part would really make me a hater or a bigot. So I'll just like strip some of this down and just give them a little sprinkle Jesus plus, but minus that, teaching them everything to obey everything I've commanded you. They're not suggestions. They're not inferences. They are commands, and they lead the life in peace. The mind set in accordance with the spirit is life and peace. The mind set in accordance with the flesh is death. It's Romans 8. So we've got a disciple before culture does. Be honest early and often. My kids, uh, my seven and six-year-old in particular, not so much my three-year-old, he cares about like ninjas and dinosaurs, but the seven and six-year-old, they know about transgenderism. Like we talk about it openly. Hey, did you know that some boys decide to dress as a girl, some girls decide to dress as a boy? Did you know that the Bible says that you should never dress as the opposite sex, that it's sin? Now, we don't hate those people, but what they're doing is not right. And so we want to tell them about God. We want to pray for them. We talk to them about same-sex marriage. Did you know that some children have two parents that are the same gender? Did you know that some mothers kill the children when they're pregnant? We talk about all this stuff. We have, we have very open, honest conversations because I know if I don't, they're going to be getting it from the world. They just are. And so I can either entrust the world to teach them or their friends to teach them or we can do what Deuteronomy 6 says, as, as the Lord gave us the Shema, O hear, O Israel, as you walk and talk along the roads and on your doorposts and everything, all of life, we're just having these conversations and we're engaging in it. When they bring home books that have that on the back cover, it's just an all day, everyday thing. That's what we do as we make discipleship. I've got a friend, um, local school, he's got, a, he's got a teenage daughter in a local high school and I can't even say it from the stage. The teacher, uh, in four class periods, played an audio of um, literature that was so graphic. Five seconds in, she's like stopping her ears because of the sex acts and sounds. 
Friends, that's a felony offense to put pornography before minors. That's like registered sex offender action. And so rightly, they protested to the principal and then they're going to pursue legal action because they should. Because if we stop standing up for what is right and our rights, then we're actually in sin. In James 4, 17, it says, if you know the good you ought to do and you do not do it, for you it is sin. We've got to be the salt and light. We can't say like, wow, I'm just, I'm gonna be salty in my house, but I'm not, I'm not gonna be salt in the school or in the workplace. Then we're absolving our responsibility. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those who are staggering toward the slaughter. And if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? God knows. He knows that we know. And so accordingly, Governor Abbott, Texas governor, called upon the Texas school boards to remove pornography from classrooms and libraries. That sounds like a pretty good thing. I mean, even the fact that we have to ask people to remove pornography is kind of shocking. But the fact that he would have to ask, like, hey, guys, let's not have pornography in schools. It's like, oh, yeah, that's... Logical, it would be a felony. But another major news outlet said, quote, these are just the latest efforts to remove LGBT titles from schools. And I'm like, no, no, he didn't say that actually. He didn't say remove LGBT titles from schools. He said remove pornography. But I think by your response, you just admitted that the two are equal. Like that the ones that have pornographic material are the LGBT ones. Now there may be some hetero ones that are out there with pornography and they should be removed too. But even by their response was an admission. And I think some of you here are outraged and you're offended. And that same person that is outraged and offended, you have no moral authority because you yourself are addicted to pornography or maybe the emotional affair with the man at work. And so it's time that judgment begins with the house of the Lord, as scripture says in the verse four, those who are in sin while throwing stones at other sins need to heed these words. First Thessalonians four, three through eight. It is God's will. What's your will for me, God? It's God's will that you should be sanctified, made in the image of Christ, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body. He's talking to the church here in a way that is holy, set apart only to God, and honorable, not in the passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. He's like, the people outside the church, of course they're doing what they do. They're natural born sinners. Christ hasn't intervened in their life yet, so of course they've got that sin. My problem's not with them, my problem's with the church, he's saying by the Spirit through Paul. You're operating like the pagans who don't even know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister as you lead them into sexual sin. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. We've got to disciple before culture does and let the discipleship begin with us. Let repentance begin with us or we will have no moral authority or integrity to speak otherwise. Disciple before culture does, and then lastly, be against the movement, but for the person. Against the movement, but for the person. 
This is my favorite point of the entire message. I like, I have these two points and I couldn't quite figure them out. And then God like led me, I mashed them up and it became this, be against the movement, but for the person. Another fellow, Matt Robinson, he worked for a major company that you would know here in this city on the entertainment side of things. His boss came to him and said, I want you to be captain for the night. And Matt said, hey, I'm honored that you would ask me to be captain, but because of my beliefs that I hold to very strongly, I can't do what you're asking me to do because that would be celebrating that which I believe is harmful for people. It was pride night. And Matt said in a very winsome way, I have many gay friends and they know that I love them. They know that I don't agree with their lifestyle, but that I love them. But it would be very confusing for them to see me on screens and monitors affirming what I've told them I think is not best for them or right or good. And so the boss, he thought, I may get fired for this. The boss said, okay, you can do some back office work. The next time Pride Night rolled around, they just said, hey, you can stay home. We know where you land. He was against the movement, but did you hear him say? He has friends that he loves in a gay lifestyle. Matt Robinson, after his fellowship, he's continued to be one of our leaders within regeneration, leading right now, like, of all walks, of all sexual sin, loving them and discipling them, not condemning them, but like Jesus on a rescue mission for them with truth and grace. And by the way, this is important to say, if someone's struggling with homosexuality or transgender, the goal is not heterosexuality. The goal for them is not heterosexuality. The goal for them is Christ, that they would become like Christ, that they would become a follower of Christ. And conversely, if someone's a heterosexual, the goal shouldn't be marriage. The goal should be Christ. Now that may be the result. I've got friends that were in a same-sex lifestyle that having trusted in Christ, a fruit of repentance became marriage and children. Praise God. But the goal was Christ. And the goal for all of us is Christ. And then different fruits may come about. Be against the movement before the person. Right now, ally. If you're an ally of transgender, if you're an ally of same-sex, if you're an ally of all the different genderisms, like that's a, that's a verbiage. We are not to be culture's ally. We are counterculture. But we are to be Christ's ambassador, not culture's ally, but Christ's ambassador. And so you are to be for the person. As we're against the movement, we are for the person. Why can I say that? How can I say that? Because it's what Jesus, when he walked this earth, hear me, was he against oppression of the poor, extortion? Yes, absolutely. Like he was against the oppression of the poor, extortion. He was against theft. And yet, you know who he was for? Levi and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who went on to become the bishop of Caesarea. Levi, who became Matthew, who was one of the apostles, one of the ones that was sent out. He was against the movement before the person. Or then you've got Jesus, who was against lust and fornication and adultery. And yet, he was for the woman at the well. And he was for the woman caught in adultery. And he is and was against Satan in all the demonic realm. And yet he was for Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons came. And for the Gerasene demoniac, he went through all that for that one singular soul to be saved. He was against the movement of Satan, but for the individual by Satan. He was against a pharisaical system that was just dead religion, heaping up a load on people, just follow the rules. He was against the pharisaical system, said they were sons of hell, but he was for Nicodemus. And he was for Saul, who we know is the apostle Paul. He was for them. And you know what else? 
Jesus is against alcoholism. He's against alcoholism and addiction and sexual sin, but he was for me. And so we, church, are against the movement before the person. And thank God that somebody was against alcoholism and addiction, but they were for John. They saw me in the back of that AA room and said, hey, if you're going to do this, you're going to need help. Here's my cell phone number. Call me tomorrow. Hey, I know you need a place to live. I know you're changing friends. A guy at work where I was working is like, hey, he wasn't shouting at me. He was shepherding me. He's like, hey, what if you and me just started talking about God and studying the Bible? You want to come to church with me? I know you're going through a hard time. I had people that supported me. I had people three months sober invite me to go on a mission trip to share the gospel because they were, they were against the movement of alcoholism and addiction, but they were for me, and it made all the difference. And let me tell you, the exact same is true of you. Every single one of us could stand up and say, this is what I was steeped in. And I would say, I am against that. But somebody was for you. They loved you. They shared Jesus with you. Friends, the people outside of these walls, don't be against them. You should be their truest friend. Not their best friend who celebrates every single thing they do. Man, you be you, you find your true love. Don't be their best friend, but you be their truest friend. The truest friend that loves them when the bottom falls out. The truest friend that loves them with truth and grace. Right now, you need to know, like, who's that person? Don't be, if, if right now you're like, oh, I'm disgusted by them, then you do not have the mind of Christ. They are the one Jesus has sent you for. You should know their birthday. You should invite them to lunch. You should invite them over to your house to watch the game. They, you should be their truest friend. He sent you for them just as one was sent for you. It's why you're sitting here this morning and you're hearing. The house, the same house that I picked up this book in, it sat on the market a long time. Long time. Nobody bought it. And uh, I asked the realtor once, because I'm like, man, what is wrong with this house that nobody wants it? And the realtor said, oh, it's the backyard. Nobody, nobody wants it because the backyard. The backyard, straight up, like veritable jungle. It was like, you couldn't even walk through it, like branches and trees and weeds, and it, it was horrible. But the backyard wasn't the problem. The backyard just needed a new owner. And that's what it is out in the world. There are just weeds and overgrown wickedness. But the people are not the problem. They just need a new owner. They're right now under the influence of Satan, and when they come under the influence of Christ, it'd be a beautiful thing. My backyard's now like probably my favorite part of our house, as it's clean and safe, life-giving, kids playing out there. Just need a new owner. So do they, and maybe so do we. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, that through Jesus you didn't come to condemn us, but you came to save us. You came to rescue us. You said that you came for the sick, not for the healthy, of which there are none, but you came for the sick. You want us to hold the truth over the trends of culture. You want us to disciple, because Lord knows culture is. And Lord, most of all, that we would be against this, this cultural compromise, but that our lives would be marked by being for the people, for the individual, they're just lost. But you're the way, the truth, and the life. And how else are they gonna become unlost other than someone say, I'm just one beggar finding another, how to find the bread?
May we be faithful, not to shout, but to shepherd, because it's what you did for us. May we be found faithful at your coming. Amen.